our friends at Dwell Differently put out a challenge that I threw out to you guys. And they said to read the book of John and underline or highlight every single time you saw the word believe. So I don't know if you had a chance to do this, but I did this. I did it like three times because I couldn't believe it. All right, so I went in, I guessed 33, 21 chapters in the book. I felt like, I don't know, that was kind of reasonable. I was very wrong. Okay, this is how it started off. It started off with like, oh, there's two, three, you see the highlights. That's not so bad. And then it just started ramping up. And I found that the more Jesus talked, the more the word gets used. Look at this conversation he has with Nicodemus, the Pharisee leader. Jesus says the word believe seven times in one conversation. And it just went on and on and on. And there are yellow highlights on almost every single page of this book. I couldn't believe it. So you know what the final number that I found was? 93. 93 times and that doesn't count the little headers or anything that's 93 times I found the word believe in the scripture I, I couldn't believe it it was amazing and it just makes me think wow how important is that to Jesus and then I looked and I, I find our memory verse in chapter 6 and they had the disciples had seen Jesus do all these miracles and they said they asked him what must we do to do the works God requires. We always want to do something, don't we? And Jesus answered, and you can say it with me, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent 93 times. So you tell me, how important is it to believe Jesus? So yeah, I actually did that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. You don't have one. I know. I don't have a thing. Um, I did it like five times, and I kept getting a higher number every time. So I don't know if that's a pastoral thing or what, but um, I thought it was, it was amazing, and I, there's a good chance that I missed some. So You, you recounted? I recounted every single time. And why did you just Google what the number was? Google knows. I'm sure someone out there knows. That defeats did, the entire did, did purpose, Did you do it the first Joel? week? Oh my gosh. I, I actually started to do that and, and you shouted at me. I remember that. I know, like, because it defeats a purpose. You're supposed to read the book. I had already made my guess. And uh, I don't know. Sometimes you're impossible. <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. We're doing something different today. Uh, we'll be up here arguing all, all morning long. Pretty much. Uh, and No, we, uh, we're closing out the book of Ezekiel. And to do that, we wanted to uh, do this like conversation style because this is what we do on a weekly basis with our teaching team is we um, bounce ideas off of each other. And that's one of our favorite parts about our week and our job is that we get to discuss uh, the Bible. And so we wanted to bring you in on that conversation. And so it kind of um, feels like a podcast to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and so because of that, I gave it the title, Three Things You Never Saw in Ezekiel. And it's clickbait and you all fell for it. That, that was Joel's idea. I, yeah. I, yeah. Look at that. That's fun. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's what we wanted to do. Because like Joel said, we, we get together as a teaching team. We have these conversations. We unpack stuff. We ask questions. We argue. But it's all good and good conversations. And that's what we just wanted to kind of bring you guys in to one of these conversations today. So, 
Today, we are going to talk about some of the things that we have pulled from Ezekiel this month as we have all been walking through it together, right? Have we? Have <laughs> we been walking? How many of you read <laughs> some of Ezekiel this month? Okay, some of, but th- that's not That's not the question, the because the challenge, yeah. if, you I may know. not even remember. I don't, I don't even know if we challenged them week after week after week. No. But one of the challenges was read through the book of Ezekiel with us. Bible tribe people going through the Bible in a year have probably done it. And so we were discussing what that number in each service would be. How many people would have read through the book of Ezekiel? And we, we put an over-under on it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and Shelly, you took the? Surprisingly, I took the under. Yeah. I am usually the most optimistic person. You're the positive one. Yep. She took the under. The, so anyways, right. just to settle it. Um, and and on, online campus, feel free to tell us how many of you. Raise um, your emoji here. Yeah, show us. But in here, in person, how many of you guys read through the book of Ezekiel here? And, this oh. is a judgment-free zone. Oh, my goodness. We had it at 11 and a half, I think. Yeah, 11 and a half. So one, two. Keep them up. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Oh, that's it. Thirteen. All right. I win again. Joe wins. I win Yay, again. I'm glad. I'm so glad. Yeah. I'm very I mean, happy. you may not be excited about 13 out of 250, but. <laughs> I know. I'm a, I'm a, it, it beat expectations. A little troubling, but okay. Ezekiel's a long, it confusing is, book. I can tell you that personally. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. You have spent um, the better part of April, May, June, July. Forever. Four months, which is a quarter yes. of a year. Yes. I'm studying Ezekiel, and so get us started. What stood out to you and just struck you in the book of Ezekiel? First off, let me just say, that is a long time to study Ezekiel, okay? I'm just saying that somebody should have been checking on me, all right? Because that was just like too much for, but there was this one thing that stuck out to me that I could not shake. And we haven't, these are the little things that we haven't been able to include in the series, right? So I, it, it, like from the very beginning until now, and I just can't, I can't shake it. For a book that is full of visions, it is surprisingly physical. Physical, like? Like, fit, well, I mean, you, you have the obvious physical stuff with Ezekiel when he had to act out all this stuff and, mm. and do these strange You mean he's things. not just talking to them? Right, he's not, he was acting He's not reading from a scroll up. like, hey, God told me to say this yeah. and I wrote it down for it you. It wasn't boring. He was acting it out, which is cool. But you know what? I expected that because this is not the first time that I've read Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. It may be the first time I paid attention to it. But And this time when I read it, I was like, what struck me is how physical the spirit is when he communicates mm-hmm. with Ezekiel and visions. Yeah. Listen, the sum of the language, it's like the spirit took him by the hand. The spirit grabbed him by his shoulders and set him on his feet. Yeah. I mean, come on, that is... It's like cartoon ghost type stuff. You know, like. <laughs> I don't know. But my favorite one, the one that just, I cannot shake, like since day one, is in Ezekiel 8. Listen to this. <laughs> He reached out what seemed to be a hand and took me by the hair. Then the Spirit lifted me up into the sky and transported me to Jerusalem in a vision from God. 
By the hair, Joel. I just, I, I want to know why. Like, what, what's requiring that? <laughs> you know, like, is, By the was he not hair. paying attention? Was he like on his phone? I don't like, know. <laughs> right? Well, so in Hebrew, the word, the, it, it says the spirit caught him by a lock, a lock on his head, like a lock of hair on your forehead. So, so then naturally, all I can think of is this. <laughs> You know, big boy, he's got that giant lock of hair, and the Holy Spirit's like, yup, and here you go. So that is, like, of all the things that stuck with me, that's probably the, one of the biggest ones. But I know it sounds silly, but here's why I think it, I keep mulling it over in my mind is that I get it. I kind of get it because the Holy Spirit communicates to me in a lot of different ways. And sometimes it is really gentle. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, come here, baby girl. Let me show you this. That's very, like, that's very sweet. It is. He, that's the way it does it. But then sometimes he grabs me by the hair and says, girl, look. You know? And so I, I get this kind of hands-on kind of thing. Oh. And that made is, you feel connected to Ezekiel. Yeah, it made me feel connected to, to Ezekiel. And after months of deep dive study in this deep prophetic book, that is one of the things stuck with me <laughs> is Frisch's big boy. But you never know what's going to stick. Right. So. And it didn't, yeah, it didn't really fit into like a sermon. To it didn't. Honest. It didn't, but I wanted to mention it because, I don't know, does the Holy Spirit ever have to grab you by your hair and just like, child, are you even paying attention? So anyway. Um, but you, much more spiritual no, than I am. So, me, okay, so because, no, no, because a couple of weeks ago, you were talking that the, one of the things that stood out to you was the son of man reference. Yeah. And I didn't really, I didn't spend much time with that. So I'm curious. Yeah, I didn't get to talk about it either, but it was right there in chapter two mm -hmm. uh, when I was, you know, preparing for the first week of the series. And, um, but I want, and I want to talk about because it, it's, that's the thing that struck me is right there. It says in chapter 2, the spirit, the voice from Ezekiel's vision um, said to him um, in verse 1, uh, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. And it's, it instantly I was like, wait a second, that rings a bell. Jesus used that phrase, son of man, in reference to himself. And here it is calling Ezekiel. So I wanted to know more of what it was because... Uh, the whole time that Jesus uses that phrase, son of man, um, I just, I, I think I'd probably researched it at some point. Have you guys ever, like, has that ever struck you, like, what does that mean? Um, and so I probably, like, Googled it one time. Um, it's you, your you go-to move. I, it, yeah, I know, it works. It makes sense to me. But, and, and son of man just kept me, um, meant person, like, like human. Like, right. you're born of a, of, of a human. And so I thought... Jesus is just emphasizing his humanity. But then when Ezekiel put it in there, I had to do more research to figure out why Ezekiel's being called it and why Jesus uses the same term. And yeah, a lot of times it's used a lot in the Old Testament. Like, guess, take a guess. How many times do you think it's Ezekiel is, is called son of man? Did somebody say 90? You were in the last service. No, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it, it's like 90 Jeez. times. How many, how many chapters is it? That's like wild. Seven? No. I put like you on the four, spot. It's like 40-something. Oh, gosh. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry. Oh, you're right. Yeah. So 90 times in that many chapters, son of man is used 
Um, and then, and then the cool thing is that Jesus is referred to over 80 times, like 88 or something in the four gospels. That's wild. Son of man. And so, um, somebody pointed out that it is not Jesus's issue of getting people to believe that he is human. Jesus's big issue, um, if he has a big one with the Pharisees, is them believing he's the son of God. So, so why is it there? In the Old Testament, it's either used to promote people's frailty in spite of God's, you know, infinite qualities, or sometimes it's used in a more gentle, hey baby kind of way um, to <laughs> say, girl. oh, sorry, <laughs> that's right, yeah, um, baby girl kind of way where it's, it's uh, son of man kind of giving an emphasis to man's special place in creation. Because, hmm. you know, when you think about Adam and Eve being made oh, in the yeah. image of God, okay. that set them apart from the rest of creation and so it's kind of like you're lower than god but you are you are still uh, you are special hmm. in god's eyes okay that's cool so i mean because that's just not a term that we walk around yeah. using it's kind of weird but so son of man usually it shows you're saying it shows either the contrast between humans and god yeah. Like, and and we're kind of putting so us in our place. Like, yeah, the frailty of us. Yeah. And oh, I just went through a Bible study on this. Like, he's all these things and we are not. Mm-hmm. Or it can also be, this is how special you are. Like, oh, baby girl, son of man. <laughs> okay. So I, I can kind of wrap my mind around those two. But then um, what does it mean when Jesus uses it for himself? Yeah, that's Because that's kind of weird. Yeah, that's the big one. So, um, and this is actually pretty simple. Everybody who's smarter than me that I read about, like, over and over again said, Jesus and his original audience would have been thinking about Daniel chapter 7. You want to go there with me? Yeah, you do. Trust me. Daniel (laughs) chapter 7 says, uh, is is one of Daniel's prophecies, and this is what he writes. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one, like a son of man, coming with the clouds... Tell me if you don't just hear so many of Jesus' references in here. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days, was led into his presence, and he was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Hmm. um, that's where their minds go. Jesus is obviously referencing uh, giving, you know, a shout out to, hey, I am the fulfillment of prophecy. Um, look at Daniel. And then the other cool thing is that Daniel was a contemporary with Ezekiel. They're yeah. both exiles uh-huh. in Babylon. D- Daniel's actually in Babylon, and Ezekiel's out, you know, in the riverbank of uh, the K- Kabar River. Yeah, it's like, <coughs> who got the short end of the stick, you know? Yeah. One's in the palace, and then one's... But they're both One cage- in the they're both then. prisoners. Yeah, they're both cages. It doesn't matter how pretty it looks. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, some people even think that Daniel may have um, Daniel and Ezekiel may have been familiar with each other's prophecies. Um, and so like, and they knew that you know that guy's talking from God. That guy's talking from God. And they like we're on the same team. And so Daniel may have even been giving a shout out to Ezekiel <laughs> um, in his in his vision. But either way, like this is obviously a prophecy about the coming Messiah. Jesus references it, says, I am becoming Messiah, and that's cool. That does kind of help. All right, that, that does kind of clear it up. So, okay, so we know what it means. When, 
it, it does still sound a little weird to us, but then you're saying when Jesus says son of man, that his original audience, that would have triggered, like, their wheels would start turning and they're thinking, oh, whoa. He, he's, they would start thinking about these old prophecies. They, yeah. Maybe that rings up some bells and maybe that gets them to start thinking of, like, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. Jesus yep. was a really smart guy. Yeah. Yeah. And that tie-in between these Old Testament prophecies, specifically Ezekiel, since that's the one we're studying, yeah. um, and Jesus is, I mean, that's, that I think is the main reason why we're here today, to talk about those connections. And you said something that really got me thinking um, when you said that Jesus does not quote Ezekiel in any of his prophecies, no matter how many chapters there is in Ezekiel. Jesus doesn't quote directly from it. No. And that was disheartening. I know. It was a bummer. Yeah. I was all ready to write a message about that. (laughs) I was like, yeah. No. But something almost even cooler is that, how did you put it? That Jesus. Well, we said he almost channels Ezekiel, but that is not the right thing. Okay. But he just, he like embodies Ezekiel's ministry. He like brings it full circle. There's so many similarities between, like, Jesus and his style and the things that he does in Ezekiel. It's like, it's like people would have, I'm surprised. Like, oh, he knew Ezekiel. Yeah, I'm surprised people didn't ask him, hey, are you, they they asked him if he was uh, Elijah. Mm -hmm. They should have asked him if he was Ezekiel. Yeah, huh. That's interesting. Regardless, when you said that, it made me go back and I came across some people who put some similarities between Jesus' ministry and Ezekiel's. Check out, um, check out four of these here. Um, one is that they both started their ministry at age 30 by a river, <laughs> right? You got Ezekiel in chapter, in chapter one of getting his vision and becoming a priest. And Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist and the dove descends. This is my son whom I well pleased. Mm, that's cool. That's... They both explicitly said that they were only speaking the words the father gave them, which is, which is cool. Um, they both were living and prophesying against um, the bad things that were happening in the temple. Um, there was abominations in the temple, and, uh, and so that was, that's a common denominator. Jesus overturns the tables, mm, Ezekiel mm-hmm. prophesies against it, and he isn't even there in Jerusalem because God has left the building. We talked about that. Yep. And, um, and finally, Ezekiel, uh, in one of the visions that you cover, not visions, one of the acting outs, the, mm-hmm. um, lays down on his side, and metaphorically takes the sin of Israel on him. And if you know the story, Jesus goes to the cross and literally takes the sin of the world on him. So a lot of similarities between what they did and what they thought. That's cool. I have never yeah. lined them up like that. wonder what happens if you <coughs> drop Moses in there too. That's, that's mm. cool. I like seeing all those parallels. Because um, when you start looking for Jesus... When you start looking for these Jesus moments in the Old Testament, you will find them. I mean, once you put those goggles on, you're going to see them everywhere. And I believe that Jesus wants us to find them, right? So here's, here's why I kind of think, well, a lot of reasons. But once the religious leaders, they were giving Jesus a, a really hard time trying to, I know, shocker, right? <laughs> trying to catch him in like, oh, you made a mistake. That's not what the Torah says, all this stuff. And, and Jesus was so quick. He was so smart, so clever. He, he says to them, 
You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. And the scriptures that Jesus was talking about there were the books of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, all those old books that sometimes we don't want to read. He is saying that all of those books point to him. All right, so give us an example from Ezekiel. Okay, I'm going to give you my very favorite Jesus moment in Ezekiel. It is all about the <coughs> sheep being gathered, okay? Listen, this is beautiful. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and in all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on the high hills of Israel and there they will lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hills. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away, and I will bring them safely home again. And when I first read that, I had to look to make sure I was still in Ezekiel. In the you Bible know? in a year plan, you get five chapters, some in the Old Testament, some in the New. Mm -hmm. I totally know what you're saying. You're like, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just reading through the, the app, and you're like, wait a second, that, that was Ezekiel? I was like, whoa, did I scroll to Psalms? <laughs> did I scroll to John? Because I thought, that sounds like Jesus. Because see, Jesus had this whole... Um, set of teachings that he did about himself being a shepherd, the good shepherd. He said he was the good shepherd and that he was the gate. Listen to his language. So Jesus explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Hear like that language kind of lining up. Oh, so yeah. he keeps going and he says, I have other sheep, too, that are not in the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. And this is the part I get really excited about because the whole last part of Ezekiel has this similar restoration language. The first part is pretty dark, pretty heavy, but the last part has all this, yeah. you know? Because 
Ezekiel had prophesied that God's people would be brought back from all the places they'd been scattered. Remember, they had all these different waves of people being sent out into exile just all over the place, here, here, here. And Ezekiel's even given a future vision of what the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem would look like. Oh, yeah, like down to the last detail. Mm -hmm. So he knows that he's prophesied that God has to bring them back. But the ultimate restoration, the one that hasn't always, all the way happened yet, the ultimate one would include more than the Israelites. Look what he told him. Are you going to do this first? Okay, so, but someday I will restore the fortunes of Sodom and Samaria, and I will restore you too. Then you will be truly ashamed of everything you have done, for your sins make them look good in comparison. Yes, your sisters, Sodom and Samaria, and all their people will be restored, and at that time, you also will be restored. Yeah, that's Ezekiel 16. If if that didn't strike a uh, like bad chord in your heart or something like that, read that over another five times um, because he says Sodom and Samaria. How and did they feel about those people groups? I, those those are like four letter words. Um, it would they're the worst. <laughs> it would be like Jesus coming and saying, uh, Joel, you and you and Community Christian Church. Um, you know, you are, you're no different than the Taliban and the Nazis, and I will restore all of you of all of your sins because you're equal. There, you know, all that stuff. Like, it just like what it shocks you into, yeah. hopefully, you know, the like slap across the face. I think this would have been a grab you by the hair moment. <laughs> yeah. Because, well, for them hearing that, you're like, no, we hate these people. Like, they hated these people. And God told Ezekiel, he like, he's like, nope. He takes it like, puts that knife in a little bit deeper. He says, I will make your sisters, Samaria and Sodom, to be your daughters, even though they are not part of our covenant. And I will reaffirm my covenant with you, and you will know that I am the Lord. Yeah, so the original audience is maybe expecting Ezekiel's prophecy to be, if you got good prophecy at all, it's going to be the prophecy that, hey, God's going to, fix all the stuff with Israel mm -hmm. and all the problems that they have with Babylon or Assyria or Egypt. He's going to bring you back together and Israel will be strong. Yeah. And, and you guys are the best. The temple will be fixed and and you'll worship me and that that you'll be an example to all the nations and all that. Right. That but is that's that is your not good prophecy. prophecy. No. I mean it's it's yes and because now yeah. It's not exclusively this one little small people group anymore because we don't get to pick and choose. God will take all of his children and bring them into one sheepfold. And that is something that Jesus taught over and over. He taught it in stories, the going to look for the one sheep out of the 99. He taught it by example. He went to people who nobody else wanted to even touch. And I mean, even though it was 700 you know? years later, it probably was equally difficult for Jesus's audience as it was for Ezekiel's yes. to understand that, hey, I'm not just talking about this group of people who you think is good and you think are chosen, but I, I'm, I'm opening this up. Yeah, I mean, it is Jesus 101. I mean, like, go back to, for this is how God loved the world. <laughs> he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And I, I just, like, 
wow. Okay, that big giant book I read that <laughs> I studied through by Christopher Wright, he said this one thing about this, this part, and I was like, oh my goodness, this, this is so good. I have to share it with you guys. Listen, it might grab you by the hair. It's not my fault. All right. <laughs> if sin is the great leveler, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Jew and Gentile alike, then so is the gospel. The grace of God is good news for all, or it is good news for none. Saved sinners don't get to select their traveling companions. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh. oh. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful, I would say, because um, to me it also speaks that it relieves that pressure. Um, I don't need a self-made pressure, I guess, of of making that decision because it's not my decision. Um, it's God's. He clearly lays out the parameters mm -hmm. for the good news um, in, the, in the New Testament. Ephesians does a great job of summarizing that. It is by grace through faith um, so that none can boast that we're saved. So, um, yeah, I think, that, I think that is a beautiful summation of the fact that, like, this is God's, like, long-term plan. That gate, Jesus, the Jesus gate. Yeah. It's pretty big. And I... Personally, I am drawn to this story of the scattered sheep coming home with one shepherd of one flock because one of the things that I long for most is unity. You know this about me. <laughs> and you're like, Shelly, you must be frustrated a lot. And I was like, because here's the thing. I want everybody to get along. I want everybody to be friends. And I just feel like that's not too much to ask but apparently it is because we cannot we cannot do that that's not going to happen without the grace of god sadly but i rest in the promise that someday all believers will be united one shepherd one flock can you even imagine but i also remember that this is not just something that I am yearning for. Like, oh, well, someday. I know that kingdom living starts here and right now. It starts with me being a, a peacemaker, forgiving others, being compassionate, being humble, being gracious, not just to my own little circle, but to everyone. And that is not, <laughs> that's not the message expect I expected to see in Ezekiel. It isn't. But that's part of the beauty of studying scripture. You, you go in expecting one thing, and God shows you another. It is a beautiful big story and it's exciting i love to talk about it yeah yeah i never expected ezekiel to tie in so tightly with god's big plan i mean just we, we point out where jesus is um but like this is this goes back to the promise that god made from the beginning to abram that you'll be a great nation uh, you'll be a father of many nations you'll uh you'll be blessed and that you'll be a blessing to others and I'm sure Abram was just caught up on the being a father part, because he wasn't. Um, but, like, he had no idea what the fulfillment of that promise looked like. And although, like, 
the bringing back the unity of everyone isn't 100% complete yet, we're still seeing that like Jesus was, that, that, that was the victory. That was the step that now the gate is open for everybody. Um, and Ezekiel prophesied that Jesus fulfilled it. And so that's just like one of 100,000 reasons why we gather to celebrate him. Right, church? Right on, on campus. Mm-hmm. We, we, uh, we celebrate the, the gift that Jesus came, that he lived among us. He lived as a human, and yet he was also divine. And, um, and it's because of that sacrifice that he made on the cross that we, that we can be, um, have the hope for that, that future restoration. And so in, in that spirit, um, we take communion every single week. And uh, if you grab one of these cups, or if you want to grab one um, from the seat underneath the be- and underneath in front of you there, um, th- this is our time to, uh, to do that. We'll even have a prayer team down front um, if you want to come forward and get prayer, talk with someone. Um, but we want to give you this space and this time uh, to remember what Jesus did. Um, we invite you to let God speak to you and uh, have this time. So let's pray. God, we, we thank you just for all the big things that you do, like that we even get to play a part in, but we can't imagine it and we're surprised by you, even though we think we know what to expect. Um, so God, I pray that for these men and women um, online and here in person, just that they um, would be surprised by you this week. I pray that for myself, God, that we would um, get to be in your presence, to feel you moving. And uh, God, would you just help us to remember to live in the grace that you showed us there on the cross. And uh, may that be just a hallmark of our life as we go about and, uh, and interact with other people and bring your kingdom uh, wherever we go. And we pray these things in your son's name.